Let's go ahead and pray together before we get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your love towards us. You are so good to us. This salvation through grace, through faith in Christ, it's all your design, all your plan. And you have organized, you have done the work, and we get all the blessings, and so we praise you. And we thank you that in your grace and kindness, you have given us the scriptures. Uh, You've given us the riches of this book, uh, written by men, but inspired by the spirit, the spiritual book, to be able to study together today. And so as we do so, we, we ask that your kindness would continue to us, that not only would uh, we have this book, but we would be able to understand and apply this book. And we know that even as we do that, uh, just, just these minds that you've given us, uh, it's not enough. We, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us apply these things, to understand these things, to truly see the significance of these things for our lives. And so we ask that you would show us that grace and kindness this morning that the Holy Spirit would be working among us, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is sensitive to the truth. Glorify yourself, edify your people. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were to hop on the internet, you don't have to do this right now, but if you were to hop on the internet and do a quick little search on the hashtag relationship goals, you'd find that that's become a pretty popular hashtag. Uh, That little statement, relationship goals, has become a popular way for people to express their desires for their relationships as well as the the amusements that they find in those relationships. Uh, On Instagram or on Twitter, under that hashtag, relationship goals, you'll find pictures of old people dancing and kissing. You'll find pictures of, of young couples enjoying exotic, tropical locations. You'll also find pithy little statements of wisdom like, The best apology is changed behavior. Hashtag relationship goals. Or don't be so busy trying to win every argument that you end up losing the relationship. Hashtag relationship goals. Or this extremely wise one, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Hashtag relationship goals. But as we get started this morning, uh, let, let me ask you this question. What are your relationship goals. Hey, hey, David, I think that's your your amp here that's kind of kicking some feedback in you. Thanks, man. See, this is relationship goals right here. <laughs> hey, there you go. That worked. <laughs> but this is a question I want to ask you. What are your relationship goals? If you were using that hashtag, uh, how would you use it? What, what are things that you... Say, this is what I want to pursue in my relationship. Or, or what are, what's with some wisdom that you've uncovered about relationships that you could share with other people? How, what would you share with that hashtag, relationship goals? And maybe you'd share that your relationship goal was to have someone to grow old with. Or, or maybe your relationship goal is to have someone to travel with. Or, or maybe if you're a young parent, your relationship goal is just 20 minutes, maybe just five minutes to visit with your spouse without some kid screaming or, or crying or peeing on the floor, right? Or maybe if you're an older parent, 
Uh, your relationship goal is to get some of those adult children of yours to pick up the telephone and call you every once in a while. Sorry, Mom, I will call. But what would you say are your relationship goals? What are your relationship goals? And what advice would you give to others under that hashtag relationship goals? What, what wisdom would you want to communicate? Would it be things like, don't go to bed angry with each other? That's wise, amen? Don't go to bed angry with each other. Or, or cherish the time that you have together. You don't know how long it will last, amen? Or the key to a happy marriage is to love your wife more than your favorite sports team. Amen? Amen. <laughs> or your Xbox, guys. Or your guitars. Or going hunting. But what, what relationship advice would you give? What would go under your hashtag relationship goals? Now, I bring that up this morning. What got me thinking about that, this idea of relationship goals, was the section of Galatians that we're going to be working through this morning. You see, as we continue working through Galatians chapter 4, uh, we've now entered into a part of the text in which Paul is going to be very open and very upfront about his relationship with these Christians in Galatia. He's going to be very open about his relationship goals with them. And in being so open, Paul is teaching us, he's actually teaching us a lot about the relationship goals that we should have with our fellow Christians. Now, let me ask you this question. When I started this morning talking about relationship goals, how many of your minds immediately jumped to your relationships with your fellow Christians? How many of your minds immediately jumped to your relationships with your fellow Christians? My guess is that for a lot of us, that wasn't the first thing that came into our minds. Instead, I imagine we were thinking about our relationship with our spouse or our kids or the person we're dating or the person we'd like to be dating. But let me ask you, what about your relationships with your your fellow Christians, your fellow church members? Your relationships with those you serve alongside in ministry. Your your relationships with those who you're part of a fellowship group with. What are your relationship goals for those relationships? Sadly, I I think that when it comes to relationship goals, um, our relationships with our fellow Christians, they often play second fiddle and sometimes a distant second fiddle to our other relationships. Here's the thing. This was not the way it was with the Apostle Paul. This is not the way it was with the Apostle Paul. For Paul, his relationships with other Christians, those were paramount. He valued, he valued greatly his relationships with his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he was willing to go to great lengths for those relationships, even willing to fight for his relationships with them. And that's what we'll see in our text for this morning. We will see that Paul's relationship goals were being challenged, and this led him to fight for those goals, to fight for those relationships in spite of the challenges that he was facing. You see, for Paul, relationships were worth that. Relationships were worth that. They were worth fighting for. They weren't disposable the way that sometimes we treat our relationships. You know, well, I haven't seen that person in a while. I haven't talked to that person in a while. It's just kind of disposable. Especially sometimes the way we treat our relationships with our fellow Christians and church members. For Paul, they weren't that way. It wasn't disposable. They weren't something that, well, I guess I'll get to it if I have time for it. No, for Paul, his relationship with his fellow Christians had great value. For Paul, his relationship with his fellow Christians was actually a working out of the reality of the gospel in his own life. And so this morning, we're going to look at his testimony of that very thing. Paul's going to teach us how we should approach our relationship goals 
with our fellow Christians. And again, Paul's going to show us this testimony in Galatians chapter 4. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and turn over now to the book of Galatians, the New Testament letter of Galatians in chapter 4. And we have been working through a study of this book. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just remind you of some of the things we've, we've already witnessed in this book. Some of some of Paul's previous comments about his relationship with the Galatians. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas had planted churches throughout this Roman province called Galatia on his first missionary journey that recorded there in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had traveled through these Galatian cities of Lystra and Iconium and Derbe, and they'd gone into those cities and they preached the gospel there, and people had embraced salvation. They'd embraced salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. They'd become Christians. But as Paul opens this letter to these churches in Galatia, he shares his utter disbelief that they were kicking that gospel to the curb. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Those of you who have been with us in the study, you remember this. Paul writes, Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I am astonished, he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. As we talked about previously in our study of this book, Jewish false teachers had come to these towns. And the Galatians were jumping into bed with these Jewish false teachers. They were whoring after a false gospel. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul rebukes the Galatians, saying to them, chapter 3, verse 1 of Galatians, Oh, foolish Galatians, he says to them, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you? He says it was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, Paul's saying, I placarded the gospel before your very eyes. I made the gospel so clear to you. You know it. You know the glory of the gospel. So why are you living now like you're enticed, like you're bewitched by something else? You see, so far in this letter, we have witnessed that Paul's relationships with the Galatians, it was struggling. and become a difficult relationship. It was a strained relationship. Paul was concerned about them. He was puzzled by them. He was shocked by them. And he was frustrated. He was frustrated with their actions. And in our text for this morning, we're going to see how deep that frustration went. We're going to see how strained their relationship had become. That the Galatians were now even to the point of viewing Paul as their enemy. But still, Paul wasn't willing to let go of the relationship. He had goals, relationship goals for he and the Galatians. And we witness this in his personal appeal to the Galatians, which begins here in verse 12 of chapter 4. And here, starting in verse 12, Paul's really showing us his heart. Uh, he, he's really displaying his deep concern, his compassion for his brothers and sisters in Galatia. Look at what he writes, starting in verse 12 brothers, he says. As I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a, a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. 
Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, these, these false teachers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. And look what he says here. My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed, confused. I don't get it. I'm perplexed about you. And here we're seeing Paul's heart. We're seeing his love and his concern for the Galatians, for his relationship with them. But it was a relationship that was being challenged. Some, some dangerous distractions had come along. And those distractions were trying to thwart Paul's relationship goals. They were making achieving those goals a serious challenge. However, Paul was willing to fight, to hold tight to those goals. But before we look at how he fights, he begins here in this text... By laying out clearly the goal for Christian relationships. The goal for Christian relationships. And actually, that's where I'm going to spend most of our time unpacking this morning. Next week, we're going to go further into these verses and look at how Paul's fighting for this relationship. But this morning, I just want us to unpack the goal for Christian relationships. So we're just going to dig into verse 12 this morning. And here in verse 12, Paul reminds these Galatians, and, and God is teaching all of us, that the goal for Christian relationships is that they are defined by the gospel. The goal for Christian relationships is that they are defined by the gospel. Our relationships with one another need to be shaped and defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just look at how Paul reminds the Galatians of this. Look at his appeal, his pleading for a gospel-centered approach. Look again at verse 12. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also become as you are. Now, maybe as you read that, you say to yourself, um, Ryan, where's the gospel in that? I don't see life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Where's the gospel in that? Well, actually, what we're going to see this morning is the gospel saturates this statement. And it begins with the very first word. Look at how Paul addresses the Galatians here. Here in verse 12, he doesn't call them, oh, foolish Galatians. He doesn't call them enemies. He doesn't call them heretics. And so what does he call them? He calls these Galatians what? Brothers. Brothers. Was this relationship easy? No. Were they struggling with the gospel? Yes. What does he say to them? Brothers. He says brothers. And, and as I've said in the past, ladies, he, he doesn't say brothers to exclude you. Instead, Paul is using a term that would have been understood as a term of familial affection, a term of family affection. Brethren, my family in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He's speaking in a way that reminds them of his bond with him, his deep connection, his oneness with them. He's, he's speaking to them in a way that he reminds them that he's talking to his forever family, his forever family. And that's where our fellow Christians are. Amen? That's where our fellow Christians are, our forever family. Through the gospel, we've been brought into the one people of God, where there is, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, where there is one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is one family. One family. And it's a forever family. It's an eternal family. That means you have to be with me forever. <laughs> you have to be together forever. 
That's a deep bond. Amen? That's a deep bond. And, and it's a gospel bond. It's a gospel bond. It's the reality that is now true of us through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Through faith in his sinless life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection. We are, we are not only made one with him through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we were also made one with each other. With each other. We are brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ. A forever family in Christ. And Paul here speaks to them from that gospel reality. He speaks to them from that reality. He actually pleads with them from that reality. Now, if you're using the ESV, which I'm preaching from this morning, the ESV uses the term here, entreat. Paul says, brothers, I entreat you. And here's the thing. Maybe that's just the way that I hear that word, entreat. But it doesn't seem as strong. As, as the verb that Paul's using here in the original language. Some of you, maybe with other translations this morning, you'll see this. But in other translations, they bring Paul's verb across as, I beg you. I, I, I plead with you. I urge you. And I think those translations, they give a little better feel for the strength of Paul's language here. You see, this is not a soft request. This is not, I don't really care what happens with the relationship, but I'll just mention a few things. Now, this is a passionate pleading. This is an intense pleading from a deep bond. This is a man who loves and is concerned about his family. His family. But what is Paul pleading with his family members about? What is his passionate concern for them? Well, look at what he says. Brothers, I entreat you, what? Become as I am. Become as I am. That's his desire for them. That's his concern for them. He is concerned about this. He is passionately pleading with them about this. He wants them to be like he is. Here's an important question for us. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Like you how, Paul? Do you want them to become Jewish like you are? Remember, these churches in Galatia were full of Gentiles, non-Jewish converts to Christianity. So is that what Paul's saying here? Is he pleading with them to become Jewish? Or or is Paul saying that he wants all these Galatians to become missionary church planters, like he is? Does he want them all to start traveling through the Roman Empire, planting new churches in the various cities that they visit, like he does? Well, Paul does love to raise up missionaries. But is that his focus in this section of the letter? Is Paul here giving a missionary appeal? No, actually he's not. He's not. And he's also not saying that he wants these Gentile Christians to become Jewish. Instead, what the context here helps us to see very clearly is that here Paul is addressing the Galatians' identity struggle. He's addressing their identity struggle. Remember, we've seen this as we've worked through this letter. We've seen this time and time again. We've talked about the Galatians struggling with how they saw themselves. Again, these Jewish false teachers had come to town. And they were telling the Galatian Christians that Christianity was all centered in keeping the law. They argued that faith alone, Christ alone, that's not enough. They argued that these Galatian Christians, especially the Gentile Galatian Christians... They were like second class Christians. You're not Jewish, you're Gentile. You're like second class. And so they told them that the way to change that, to go from second class to first class, was by embracing the Old Testament Mosaic law. 
these Jewish teachers argued that these Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised, they needed to keep the ceremonial law, they needed to observe the feasts and the festivals and the dietary restrictions. They argued that these Gentiles need to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And this was creating serious identity confusion in Galatia. These new Christians were losing sight of who they were. Again, they were being told, you're second class. You need, you need to jump through just the right hoops. You need to work just the right system in order to truly get the blessings of God. But Paul says to them in the end of chapter 3, look, look back at chapter 3, verse 27. Look what Paul says to them. I love this. Chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have what? Have what? What does it say? Have put on Christ. Have you put your trust in Christ? Well, then he is now your identity. You've put on Christ. You're clothed with Christ. So Paul is saying to them, you're not second class. You're clothed with Christ. And as one who's clothed with Christ, you are now the children of the promise. Look at how Paul continues there in chapter 3. Look at verses 28 and 29. You put on Christ. There is neither Jew now nor, nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. There are these classes and distinctions. First class, second class, third class. For you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Paul is telling him, you, because you're in Christ, you are the children of the promise. You get all the blessings of God. And you get those things. You get those things. Not because you're working a system. Not because you're keeping the law. But because through faith alone, you are in Jesus Christ. You're in Jesus Christ. You're in the one who did earn all of those things. But the problem with the Galatians is that they weren't seeing themselves that way. They weren't seeing themselves that way. Instead, they were seeing themselves in second class. Instead, they were living like slaves in bondage. That's why Paul says to them, right before his appeal in our text for this morning, look down at chapter 4, verse 8. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Look at what Paul says to them. Chapter 4, verse 8. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, back when you were pagans, you Gentile Christians, back when you were pagans, he said you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You were working a system, trying to earn their blessing. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God. Now they've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. How? How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You're living like slaves again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. You're back to work in a system. He says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You see, Paul's desire... His passionate pleading for these Galatians was not that they would be Jewish like he was, and it wasn't that they become missionary church planters like he was. No, the context here shows us that Paul's pleading with them that their lives be defined and shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like Paul's life was. Paul wants them to become like him in understanding their gospel identity. He wants them to become like him in understanding their gospel identity. And, and do you remember, those of you who've been with us through this study, 
Do you remember Paul's own description of his gospel identity? Remember, he shared it with us earlier in this letter. Back in chapter 2, verse 20. I know some of you have this verse memorized. Back in chapter 2, Galatians 2, 20, Paul says of himself, what? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, he says, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's who Paul is. That's how he saw himself. And that's what he desires for these Galatians. That's what he's pleading with them to become. People who see themselves like Paul saw himself. As a person defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and, and seeing himself that way, it, it radically changed the way that Paul lived. As he's made very clear in this letter, understanding that gospel identity, that that freed him from the law. It freed him from living bound by, by the judgments and the condemnations of the law. Having been crucified with Christ, all of the law's demands and the punishments, they'd all been satisfied. Brothers and sisters, the law is dealt with at the cross. Amen? The law is dealt with at the cross. So for each and every Christian, we can look at the cross and say, the demands of the law upon me were met there. They were met there. There is therefore now no condemnation, amen, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I've been crucified with Christ. And brothers, I'm going to say this, and I hope you already know this, but that should give us a deep and freeing joy. Amen? That should give us deep and freeing joy. Judgment is not hanging over our heads anymore. Amen? It's not hanging over our heads. We're not worrying about jumping through this hoop or that hoop to somehow make God happy enough to let us into heaven. When Christ died for sin and judgment upon the cross, we died with him. We were crucified with Christ. So the demands of the law were, were dealt with. Judgment is not hanging over our head anymore. Deep joy. Amen? Freeing joy. And Paul understood that through that, he had now been given life, real life, with God. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ, listen to what he says, Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me. Paul knew that he was now united with Christ. And so the life of Christ, that divine life, that life of intimacy, that life of fellowship with God, the life of the Son of God and the Son of Man, that was flowing through him. It was defining him. It was filling him. It was empowering him. Christ lives in me. And this is true, not just of Paul, but every Christian. Amen? This is true of all of us. Christ lives in me. <laughs> Talk about mind-blowing. Amen? And that, that reality, it empowered Paul to live out of that life. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, this, this bodily life on earth, he says, I now live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wasn't living by the law. Paul wasn't working a religious system. He was living by faith in Christ. He was walking each day with Christ. He was resting in the spirit of Christ. He was bearing fruit of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Fruit which he will say in chapter 5, against which there is no law. 
right? As we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit manifests that fruit. As we live by faith in the Son of God, it manifests, the Holy Spirit manifests that fruit against which there is no law. You see, Paul was living out a godly life, not by working a system, but because he understood who he is in Christ. And then he lived out of that reality. He lived out of that reality. And that's what he desires for the Galatians. That, that's what he means when he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. He longed for them to live lives shaped by the gospel. He didn't want them living discouraged, frustrating, suffocating lives. He didn't want them running around feeling like they were second class, like they didn't belong, like they were slaves in bondage trying to jump through this hoop, then this hoop, then this hoop, then this hoop, and maybe get something at the end. He wanted them to know the joy, the freedom, the power of being a Christian. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than being a Christian. Amen? There's nothing better than being a Christian. He wanted them to know that. He wanted them to know the joy, the power, the freedom of being a Christian. He wanted them to know a life shaped by and defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his desire for them. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. As we see that desire in Paul for his fellow believers, we need to pause and ask the question, is that our desire for each other? Not just our own lives. Is that our desire for each other? Is that our relationship goal for one another? Let me ask it to you this way. Do we look around and we see our fellow Christians and we say, oh, how I long for them. I long for them to know the joy, the power, the freedom of seeing who they are in Christ. Oh, I long for that. Do, do, we, do we see each other and think, oh, I want you to know the delight of knowing God and being known by God. Do we pray for our brothers and sisters, our fellow church members saying, oh God, I want them to know the power of Christ in them, the hope of glory, and how that power shapes every moment of their life, every dimension of their life, how it works itself out in their marriages, and their jobs, and with their children, and in the, the private moments of their lives. Are we coming alongside of each other? And saying, say who you are. Say who you are in Christ. Or, brothers and sisters, is it just every man for themselves? You know what I mean? Every man for themselves. Is the church just a bunch of isolated individuals trying to figure this stuff out for themselves and by themselves? Let me just ask you the question. Do you long for other people to see, to experience, I mean, what you found in Jesus Christ? Say, well, I'm just trying to figure out my own stuff. Look at Paul. Do, do you long for other people to experience what you found in Christ? Do, do you long for your brothers and sisters to know in a deeper way the joy that you found through the gospel? That's what Paul was about. That's what Paul was about. That was his relationship goal with his fellow Christians. And Paul was willing to go to great lengths great lengths to accomplish that. Notice here that as Paul is pleading with them to become like him, he also reminds them that he became like them. 
He says in verse 12, I also have become as you are. But again, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Does it mean that Paul went and became a pagan? Does it mean that he enslaved himself to the law? What, Paul's, what is Paul getting at by that statement? Well, again, the context, specifically the content of this letter, helps us understand Paul's statement. And I think a very helpful place in this letter to, to understand what Paul's talking about here is found back in chapter 2. So go ahead for a moment and turn back to chapter 2. Some of you, when we're looking at 220, you already did that. But for the rest of us, go ahead and turn back there to chapter 2. And, and if you remember, here in chapter 2, we find the story of an apostolic throwdown. We find this story where in which we see the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul go head to head. Look at the text here, chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Verse 11. Paul writes, But when Cephas, which is the Aramaic form of Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. He was eating with the Gentile Christians. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself Fearing the circumcision party, the people that were kind of like these false teachers that had come to Galatia. And the rest of the Jews, the rest of the Jewish Christians acted hypocritically along with him, along with Peter. So that even Barnabas, good old Barnabas, and the, the son of encouragement, was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was, watch this, watch this, such an important statement. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You see, there was this entire conflict that happened in the church of Antioch, and it was created because some of the Jews, some of the Jewish Christians, believed that it was defiling to eat with the Gentile Christians. They didn't want to live like the Gentiles. Remember, remember according to the Mosaic Law, the Gentiles, foods that the Gentiles ate, those were unclean, defiling. And also the, the Gentiles, they didn't wash their hands, they didn't wash their bowls, they didn't wash their cups in the ceremonial fashion that had become customary to the really pious Jews. And, and to enter into a meal with the Gentile was to have fellowship with them, it was to share life with them. But here's the thing, many of the Jews had grown up believing that the Gentiles were unclean, vile dogs. They were defiling people. So what good, faithful Jew would do such a thing as go and eat with Gentiles? Who would enter into life with a Gentile? Well, Paul says, he would. He would. And Peter did. Peter did until he got scared that people would start thinking he wasn't pious and godly. But here's the thing. Being pious and godly doesn't have anything to do with the food that you eat or how you wash your hands or your bowls. Instead, we are made holy and godly through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul understood this. He understood that the gospel, not what you ate or how you washed your hands or what your ethnic background was, but the gospel... That was the grounds of true Christian fellowship. Christ has made us one. We all come in. We're all made clean. We're all justified the same way. Through faith alone. In the finished work of Christ alone. So he says, Peter. Brother. You are out of line. 
Your actions are not in step with the truth of the gospel. And that reality, the truth of the gospel, that defined the way that Paul approached relationships. That defined the way that Paul approached relationships with other people. Because of the gospel, Paul was willing to enter into life with the Gentiles. He was willing to eat with them. He was willing to fellowship with them. He, in that sense, became as they are. He was willing to enter into their world. And I think that's what Paul is talking about back in chapter 4. Go ahead and turn back to chapter 4. Turn back to chapter 4. I think here in verse 12 when Paul says, For I also have become as you are, he is saying, I set aside those other things. I set aside my Jewish traditions that called for separation from you. I think he's reminding them that for the sake of the gospel, I I chose to set aside those Jewish boundary markers that I'd always known and to step outside of my comfort zone in order to be with you because of the gospel. See, I imagine that for a Jew, sitting in a Gentile home while they were frying up some bacon or slicing some ham or serving food without walking through the ceremonial process of cleansing hands, I imagine that was uncomfortable for a Jew. I imagine it was a little unnerving for a Jew. It probably made you feel out of place. It might have made you feel a little dirty. But Paul didn't let that stop him. Because it was Jesus and his gospel that was most important to Paul. It was Jesus and his gospel that was most important. And, and he was, Paul was even willing to take on Jewish hostility. To take upon himself the scorn and the rejection of his fellow Israelites. What are you doing, Paul, hanging out with those Gentiles? He was willing to do that in order to build gospel-shaped relationships with his fellow Christians. No matter how different from him they were. Remember this? Remember in Acts chapter 21... A riot breaks out in the temple. A riot breaks out in the Jewish temple. And the cause of that riot was a bunch of people trying to kill Paul. And why were they trying to kill Paul? Because of his relationships with Gentiles. That guy hangs out with Gentiles. He probably brought some into the temple. Well, let's kill him. People hated Paul because he was spending time with Gentiles. But here's the thing. It wasn't fear of man that guided Paul's approach to relationships. Nor was it longing for personal satisfaction and comfort that guided his approach to relationships. Instead, Paul's approach to relationships was driven by the riches of the gospel. It's driven by the riches of the gospel. I don't have to turn there, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 and 23. You can jot that reference down. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 and 23. Paul writes this. Listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. Paul says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And then listen to this. This is so important. I did it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them its blessings. Did you hear that? I did it all for the sake of the gospel that, by, that I may share with them its blessings. You see, Paul just wanted to give people Jesus. 
He just wanted to give people Jesus. He just wanted them to have the gospel. His goal was Christ, not a system. It was the joy of relationship with God, not building a bunch of religious followers. Paul wasn't out there trying to pragmatically build a religion. No, instead, he was out there entering into the lives of people, no matter who they were, in the way that Jesus had come and entered into our lives. You see, don't misunderstand what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 9. He's not saying that he embraced a pragmatic approach. I was willing to do whatever works. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's telling us that he embraced an incarnational approach. I'm willing to enter into the lives of people, no matter how different from me those people are. And in doing so, Paul was following the example of Jesus. He was following the example of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well... Apostle John, remember this? Apostle John, in the first chapter of his gospel, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, he says this about the approach of Jesus. Remember this? And the Word. Who was the Word? The one Word was the one who was in the beginning, who was with God, and who is God, right? And Paul and John says, and the Word, the eternal Son of God, became what? Flesh. Talk about becoming as we are. And, and why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus do that? Well, he became one of us in order to save us. Amen? He became one of us in order to save us. He became one of us in order that we might know the glory of the gospel. And so Paul Thinking that same way. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 to the church there in Philippi as he helps them to understand how they are to sacrificially be in one another's lives. He says to them, consider the the interests of others more than yourself. He says, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude, Paul? Well, this attitude. Who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped clung on to, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And how far did Jesus go in that pursuit? Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. An easy death? No, even death on a cross. That was the approach of Jesus. He humbled himself and got down in the muck and the mire with us in order to bring us into the glory of the gospel. That was Jesus' approach and that was also Paul's approach. He was willing to get uncomfortable. He was willing to get elbow to elbow with people. He was willing to put himself in unfamiliar situations and awkward circumstances. He was willing to take on ridicule. And scorn in order that others might know the joy of the gospel. Paul's life was shaped by the gospel. And so his relationships, his pursuit of relationships were shaped by the gospel. He was freed by the gospel and and driven by the gospel. And that's what he desires for the Galatians. That's what he desires for the Galatians. And brothers and sisters, that's what Christ desires for all of us as well. Go ahead and turn back there to chapter 4. Looking in our text, 
When Paul says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, we need to hear that directed at us. At us. Paul's approach should be the goal for all of our Christian relationships. Should be the goal for all of our Christian relationships. First, we should long, we should long, brothers and sisters, to see lives defined by the gospel. We should long for that in our own life, amen? We should long for that in our own life, but also in the lives of those around us, the lives of our fellow Christians. We should long for all of us to, to have lives grounded in the glorious truth of the finished work of Christ and, and that that would shape the way that we live each and every day. We should be praying that for each other. We should be sharing what we learn about that with each other. And we should be encouraging each other in that. But here's the thing. In order to really pursue that, encouraging one another and who we are in Christ, and praying for one another, getting one another's life, we need to realize that our relationships need to be defined, defined by the gospel. Our relationships need to be defined by the gospel. And what I mean by that is this. Our relational pursuits... Our relational pursuits, and especially this is true in the church, our relational pursuits shouldn't be about finding people who are like us. People who are at the same life stage as we are. People who have the same hobbies and interests as we do. People who fit into our demographics. i just tell you this, I actually hate this about the modern church. I hate our divisive, segmented approach to the Christian life. I hate it. Single people feel like they can't spend time with married people because they just don't understand me. Married people with kids feel like they can't hang out with married people without kids because they just don't understand me. Older people feel like they can't hang out with younger people. Younger people feel like they can't hang out with older people because they just don't understand me. And so we end up in all these little segmented look-alike pods. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that's not Christianity. That's selfism. That's the religion of self. We want people to look just like us. Brothers and sisters, Christianity, true Christianity is about letting the gospel drive us together. It's about letting the gospel, it's about people who are not like each other, pursuing together who they are in Christ. It's about getting uncomfortable, getting a little awkward at times in order to live life together and encourage one another to live out the realities of the gospel. This is our Christian relationship goal. It's to have relationships with other people, no matter who they are, in order to encourage them to embrace Christ and live each day in the light of the gospel. That's the way Paul approached relationships. That was his relationship goal. But as we'll see next week, even when we have the right relationship goal, pursuing them can be a challenge. Sometimes dangerous distractions come in and they, they pull us apart. And here's the thing, they pull us apart by pulling us away from the gospel. They pull us apart by pulling us away from the gospel. And sadly, that's what was going on in Galatia. But we'll look at that in detail next week. But as I close this morning, let me just ask you again. Think about your relationship goals. Think about your, not your spouse's, not us as a church, you as an individual. Think about your relationship goals. Again, I want you to think about your relationship goals with your fellow Christians. I want to ask you some questions. Here's the first question. First, do you see your deep connection with your fellow Christians? Do you see your deep connection with your fellow Christians? Do, do you truly see them as your brothers and sisters in Christ, your forever family? Do you see them that way? 
Or, or instead, are they just people that you occasionally sit next to on a Sunday morning? People you occasionally you know, work alongside in the nursery. People that you, you know, occasionally, before Sunday morning service, set up chairs with. Or people that, that supposedly, you know, somebody said you're supposed to be in a fellowship group with these people, so you're supposed to hang out with them. But you haven't got, got around to that. How do you see each other? How do you see each other? Do, do you see each other the way that Paul saw his fellow Christians? The way that if he was here today, he would see all of us? Do we see each other the way that Jesus died to make us brothers and sisters? Or are your fellow Christians just people in passing? Do you see your deep connection with your fellow Christians? Second, do you long for your fellow Christians to see the riches of who they are in Christ? Do you long for your fellow Christians to see the riches of who they are in Christ? Do do you love them enough to long for them to see what you've seen, to know what you've known, to delight in what you delight in as a Christian? Is your heart truly burdened for others that they would know the riches of a life in Christ? Some of you, some of you who have walked with the Lord for years, let me ask you this question. Some of you who have walked with the Lord for years, who are you pouring those years of wisdom and experience, who are you pouring that into? What, what younger believers do you have in your life? What younger believers are you looking at and saying, become as I am? And some of you, you've raised families. You, you've weathered trials. I mean, real, deep, difficult trials. You've run the marathon that is marriage. You, you've seen churches come and go, pastors come and go, and through it all, you've found Christ faithful. you found his grace sufficient. So who are you pouring that into? And you younger believers, are you too busy or too sensitive for that? I don't know if I want somebody to get it in my life and telling me stuff I gotta do. Why aren't you running? Why aren't you running to the older saints and seeking their Christ-centered wisdom? Why? Let me tell you, that's so much better than griping about your life on Facebook. Amen? Let them give you some perspective. They've walked with the Lord for a long time. Let them give you some perspective. Let them help you put your roots down deep into the grace of God. Let them help you learn what it truly is to be a Christian husband or a Christian wife or a Christian father or a Christian mother or a Christian employee because they've been doing it for a long time. So listen to them and learn from them. Let them help you grow in following Jesus. And then take what they're pouring into you and pour that into the life of other people who don't know Jesus yet. Help them to see what you found in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. I think we hesitate to do that. We don't do that. We hesitate to enter into one another's lives and pour out what we've learned about the blessings of Christ because we're not willing to go where Paul went. We're not willing to go where Paul went. We're not willing to enter into the world of others, the lives of others, for the sake of the gospel because we don't want to get uncomfortable. We don't want to get uncomfortable. We don't, we don't want to be in any awkward situations. We don't want those moments when we're not sure what to say or how to act or what people will think. So we just stay to ourselves. We only fellowship with people who are just like us or even worse, we quote unquote fellowship 
alone. But that's not the model set for us. That's not the model set for us. Not by the apostles who taught us or the Lord Jesus who saved us. So are you willing? Are you willing to enter into the world of others in order for them to know the riches of Christ? Again, what are your relationship goals? What are your relationship goals? Our relationships with one another need to be shaped and defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So can you say like Paul to your fellow Christians, brothers, I entreat you. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you. Become as I am. For I also have become as you are. Can you say that to your fellow Christians? Is that what you are pursuing? Is that your relationship goal? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I praise you for your great love for us. We celebrated it around the table this morning. The fact that you were willing to give, give up glory. To come into a life of poverty and nothing. We, we can't even begin to comprehend what that kind of condescension was like. But not only were you born into that life that be like a life in a third world country today. Not only were you born into that, but all of the garbage that you endured, the hatred, the vileness from people, when you were preaching truth and people were trying to murder you for that. And then you went willingly, obediently, through that garden where there was agony, where you, you knew the grief, the anxiety of being in the shadow of that cross. And then you, you went to the cross. And you endured all of that. Climaxing in that that separation from the Father, that separation from the delight of the Father when you cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you did it all so that we might know the glory of the gospel. And yet, we struggle to get involved in none of those lives because we're too busy or to be uncomfortable. Oh Lord Jesus, I thank you that through your word you call us to follow you. Take up our cross and follow you. Paul here, he shows us this example. He's pleading with these brothers and sisters that they would see themselves through the lens of the gospel. They would live out of that reality of what you purchased for them in Christ. And Paul was willing to get down into their lives and be uncomfortable with them and take ridicule and scorn for being with them so that they would know that. He gives us this great example. But I pray that it's not just things we talk about today. But that by your spirit, you convict our hearts in in real, tangible ways. Bring people to our minds. Faces to our minds. For the the older saints, the mature saints here in our congregation. Pray that you would help them to look around and see young men, young women. Young husbands and wives and fathers and mothers 
who, who, who needs somebody that's been down the road a little bit to get involved in their lives. And I, I pray that you would help these older, mature saints here this morning to look around and see that and to pursue that. Whether it's through their fellowship groups or just through calling somebody up. Just taking somebody out for coffee, whatever, that they, that they would get involved in each other's lives. And I pray for the younger saints here. That in those moments when, when they're struggling and feeling frustrated, how do they do this thing of following Jesus? It's hard. That you would make them stop and look around and see that they have all these godly brothers and sisters that they can lean into and glean wisdom from. Pray together with. Study the scriptures together with. And you help them to slow down and, and be humble and be teachable. Seek that out. I thank you for your design for the body. That's not just a bunch of look-alike people at the same stage of life. It's this glorious tapestry. People from all different walks of life, all different stages, together learning the scriptures, learning how to apply the gospel and encouraging one another. So I pray that you would help us to pursue those relationships. I must long for one another to to see the riches of the gospel of Christ and be willing to do whatever it takes to help one another see that. Again, I thank you for this truth from your word. Help us, help us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to faithfully apply it. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.